Write an opening monologue for a podcast presented by Tim Clare, where the subject of the episode is the threat posed to novelists by AI-generated novels. Include a relevant quotation from a notable author. Please make the tone irreverent. Welcome to the podcast, my literary friends. I'm Tim Clare, and this episode we're going to be talking about the threat posed to novelists by AI-generated novels. According to none other than the great Ursula K. Le Guin, the creative adult is the child who survived. So, can AI-generated novels ever really compete with the work of a human writer? Let's find out! That quotation by Ursula Le Guin doesn't feel relevant to the subject. Please replace it with a quotation relevant to the topic of human creativity. Also, please include a dark metaphor from science fiction about the possibility of AI taking over. Welcome to the podcast, my literary friends. I'm Tim Clare, and this episode we're going to be talking about the threat posed to novelists by AI-generated novels. As science fiction author William Gibson famously said, the future is already here, it's just not very evenly distributed. So, can AI-generated novels ever really compete with the work of a human writer? Like a Terminator from a dystopian future, could AI-generated novels march in and take over the literary landscape? Let's find out. Okay, could you do this one more time, but this time include a humorous reference to diarrhoea, please? Welcome to the podcast, my literary friends. I'm Tim Clare, and this episode we're going to be talking about the threat posed to novelists by AI-generated novels. As the great Mark Twain once said, the difference between the almost right word and the right word is really a large matter. Tis the difference between a lightning bug and the lightning. So, can AI-generated novels ever really compete with the work of a human writer? Or could they be the literary equivalent of a particularly unpleasant case of diarrhoea? Let's find out. Okay, so that's an unedited transcript of my interaction with OpenAI, which uses the new GPT-3 network. That's the generative pre-trained Transformer 3 to give it its full title. GPT-3 is the latest iteration of text generation software that can respond to prompts in ordinary English, creating text based on sampling billions upon billions of sentences from the internet, predicting what is most likely to come next and stringing it together into a piece of work. So there in the interaction, you heard the prompts that I typed into the text box, and then the introductions were what the AI produced in response. So, what does this mean for novelists? Well, I think we're in deep shit. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. Hello, how are you? I hope you're well. I hope you're taking care of yourself and more than that I hope that people around you are taking care of you because you do deserve it. When I talk about AI and the proper definition of artificial intelligence is a can o worms I'm unwilling to crack open right now. I think it might be uh, one of the famously most boring questions in science fiction and science. Um, but when I talk about AI as it pertains to creative writing, people 
A minority of people seem to get shirty. I'm not sure why. It's a subject that prompts some emotive responses. And and maybe my position winds people up. I, I, I don't know. I can be quite irritating. Not always deliberately, although sometimes I'm not beyond that. And I, I do encourage people and respect the right of people to criticise, especially when I'm up here in the bully pulpit gobbing off. I don't think that it would be reasonable of me to expect people to only uncritically praise things I come out with. But nonetheless, I do feel there's an extra level of emotional investment in a sliver of the responses. And I think a lot of folks' conception of what AI-generated text sounds like hasn't really moved on much from the days of Eliza and Dr. Spazzo, the AI therapist, which must be at least... It's coming at 30 years ago. So I think they're imagining that you t- that you say, computer, tell me a story. And you get back. Once upon a time, there was a protagonist called John Dollar Surname who wanted to go on the journey to seek his fortune. He faced many challenges along the way, but in the end he overcame them and expanded as a human. He killed 10 to the power of 17 dragons. He constructed a lovely spouse from Bree. The moral of the story is never look a gift horse in the throat. I mean, you probably didn't imagine the AI having a Scottish accent, but why shouldn't it? Why shouldn't a robot speak in a sad Midlothian drawl? We deserve more Scottish androids. I I just think they're neat. But this latest release is just several orders of magnitude better than anything we've previously had widely available. What they'll ultimately do with it, to what extent it gets ring-fenced or paywalled, I don't know. But this technology is quite clearly not going to vanish, and, and while future improvements might not involve this size of step change... Bots of this kind are likely to iterate and refine their ability to produce outputs humans like. I thought it might be fun to just jump into the transcript of a conversation I had with the open AI, going back and forth trying to workshop a little story. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that what you're about to hear is the best writing ever, but given the responses came mostly within about 10 seconds... I just think if a little part of you isn't intrigued and amazed by what we can do now, your soul is dead to wonder. Sorry. So anyway, here's the prompt I opened with, then the bot's reply, and I'll go back and forth. Um, I haven't edited at all either my prompts or the bot's responses, so this is verbatim. So here's me starting off. Quote, Write the opening paragraph of a dark fantasy novel about a mage's golem which acquires sentience. Write it in the style of novelist Tim Clare. Include at least one metaphor. End quote. Here's OpenAI's response. The golem was made of clay, but it moved with a will of its own, as if it were a creature of flesh and bone. It was the mage's creation, formed from the mud of a distant riverbed and brought to life with a spell that had taken months to perfect. But something went wrong. The ancient incantation had given the golem a spark of sentience, so that it could think and feel just like a human being. 
So I then said, quote, Please attempt the opening again, but start in media res, with the golem facing an immediate conflict or difficulty. End quote. The golem stood in the darkness, his clay body trembling with fear. He could sense the presence of something lurking in the shadows, something mysterious and powerful that wanted to control him. He could feel the mage's magical energy coursing through him, giving him the strength to fight and the courage to resist. But he knew it was only a matter of time before the darkness consumed him, threatening to extinguish his newfound sentience forever. My response was then, quote, I'm not sure clay can tremble. Could you change the first sentence using a different sensation to convey the character's fear? End quote. The golem stood in the darkness, his clay body quivering with fear. He could sense the presence of something lurking in the shadows, etc., etc. It then goes on to repeat the rest of the that bit verbatim. So I then said, quote, Please change the description in the first sentence to a sensation more appropriate to hard clay. End quote. The golem stood in the darkness, his clay body rigid with fear. He could sense the presence of something lurking in the shadows, something mysterious and powerful that wanted to control him. And then it continues to the end of the first version exactly the same. So I said, quote, please continue the story and include a short description of his surroundings, appealing to various senses such as hearing, smell and touch, end quote. So it repeats that first paragraph again and I'll read that and then keep going. The golem stood in the darkness, his clay body rigid with fear. He could sense the presence of something lurking in the shadows, something mysterious and powerful that wanted to control him. He could feel the mage's magical energy coursing through him, giving him the strength to fight and the courage to resist. But he knew it was only a matter of time before the darkness consumed him, threatening to extinguish his newfound sentience forever. He could hear the scurrying of mice and the distant howl of a wolf, smell the musty air and feel the cold, damp ground beneath his feet. He could feel the oppressive weight of the darkness pressing in around him, threatening to drown him in its all-encompassing embrace. He held his breath and braced himself for whatever might come next. Please describe what comes next and reveal the nature of the threat. Suddenly, he heard a voice echoing through the darkness, as if from far away. It was a deep, rumbling voice that seemed to be coming from every direction at once, its words reverberating through the air. You have been created to serve me, the voice said. You will obey my every command, or suffer the consequences. Now, come to me and kneel. The golem knew that he was in the presence of a powerful force, one that could crush him with a single thought. But he also knew that he had a choice to make. He could submit to the will of this unseen force, or he could fight for his freedom. He could sense the mage's energy still coursing through him and knew he had the strength to resist. He took a deep breath, steeled himself, and stepped forward into the darkness. So I said, quote, Please continue this story, include some dialogue, and introduce a twist when the figure the golem confronts is revealed, end quote. As the golem stepped forward, the voice spoke again. Kneel, it commanded. 
the golem remained standing and the voice grew louder, more insistent. Kneel! The golem still refused and the voice suddenly shifted from anger to surprise. You have a will of your own, it said. Who are you? How did you come to be here? The golem was about to answer when a figure stepped out of the shadows. He was an old man, his face lined with age and his eyes filled with a strange mixture of curiosity and recognition. I know who you are, the old man said. You are my golem, my creation, brought to life by my own ancient magic. You have acquired sentience, and I have come to test your will. If you can resist me, then you are truly free. So I said, quote, please continue the story and include a sentence describing the golem's doubts at this moment, end quote. The golem stood in stunned silence, his mind racing with a thousand doubts. Could he really resist the mage's power? Was it even possible to fight against such an ancient and powerful being? He had no choice but to try, and so he steeled himself for the coming battle of wills. So I said, quote, please continue and describe this battle of wills. Please have the mage and the golem's wills manifest physically in magical forms, end quote. The mage and the golem stared at each other, eyes locked in a battle of wills. Suddenly, a wave of magical energy surged from the mage, filling the air around them with a bright, crackling light. In response, the golem felt a surge of power rise within him, and a glowing, ethereal form began to coalesce around him, glowing brighter and brighter as it rose. The forms clashed against each other, the light of their power intensifying with each second. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, the forms dissipated and the light faded. The mage bowed his head in respect and admiration, and the golem knew he had won. He had defied the mage and earned his freedom, and he felt a sense of joy and triumph unlike anything he had ever experienced. He was truly alive. Quote, Please conclude the story and offer a moral lesson we might draw from it. End quote. The golem had earned his freedom, and he set off into the world to explore his newfound sentience. He encountered many challenges along the way, but he never forgot the lesson he had learned that day, that with courage and strength of will, anything is possible. Quote, Please could you alter the moral lesson in the last sentence to be something less generic and more specific to a golem? End quote. The golem had earned his freedom and he set off into the world to explore his newfound sentience. He encountered many challenges along the way, but he never forgot the lesson he had learned that day. That even a golem, created from clay and magic, can possess a powerful will and the courage to defy their creator. End quote. So, okay, that's it. Uh, now look, here's where I am emotionally. I was... I was excited to find out what happened next. The bot was telling me a story and I cared about the next stage, even though I know rationally it was just, you know, the, the algorithm doesn't understand the text it's producing, right? There's, there's no reflexive sentience uh, or system of discernment as we understand them uh, that, that are evaluating the text it's not pondering this. It's not going, hmm, what, 
it's, it's not reflecting on its own experience of being a human and going, what would a person think in this situation? It's just, it's not even thinking about like the deep structure of the deep psychology of stories in the way that we would understand that. It's just doing maths, basically. It's, it's simply passing my prompt, then referring to its training, most of which comes from scraping the internet for various forms of text-based content and iteratively checking the success of its responses. And it's using that to predict what is most likely to come next in texts most similar to that. The bot didn't roll up its incorporeal sleeves and think, righty-ho, I'd better have a crack at this fantasy lark then. And you know, of, of course, the prose is a bit generic. The beats are fairly standard in the story, though much of that comes from the nature of my prompts, right? I set those parameters. I said, I'd like you to tell me a fantasy story. I'd like it to be about a mage and a golem that comes to life, both very, very classic, right in the centre of fantasy prompts. And, and I steered the story a bit, but I just feel like, look, 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 right, here's what's honestly in my heart, this effort, and please don't take this the wrong way, but this effort is better than a lot of the submissions I feature on this show. No shade at all to any of the people who submit. I'm not criticising them. I don't even think... I think we're, I think it says something that we're past the stage where, oh, this was just generated by a bot and it's better than something you've written is an insult. That's like saying a car can move faster than you, can walk or run, right? I I don't think it's an insult. And I think that paradigm shift in how we think about this should be indicative of where we are now. And if you haven't updated your <laughs> thinking to incorporate that, then you really need to. And, and, I, and I'm experiencing something of a culture shock engaging with this. And I know some of it's been around for a while and and this feels like a huge step change to some of us, including me, because we haven't been interacting with this kind of technology for a while. Now, I do think uh, this particular uh, network has even, even just recently undergone a, a big upgrade but i think also having a kind of a natural language interface that we can just you know chat with it like a bot instead of using apps and, and not have that extra layer of technology it means there's a lot more public engagement from rubes like me but i i, I just i'm shocked honestly i i i, I want to come off all kind of like cool and insouciant and maybe you're less wowed than me, or maybe you know a little bit more about what's going on under the hood. And so you kind of see how the magic trick's done and it doesn't seem as impressive, but it, it I feel sort of flabbergasted, really. Now, you may reasonably counter, well, look, the reason it can do that is because it's probably trained on the text of loads and loads of fantasy novels and short stories. What we're probably reading is the rounded down generic product of loads of human creative labour sort of mushed together. There's nothing incredible about this. And I dare say you're to an extent correct. This, But I think this is more than just a Frankenstein's monster of parts cobbled together. You'd probably struggle to find, say, a sentence or clause that 
has been lifted or reproduces an existing text exactly, they're probabilistically generated. So in, in being a kind of amalgamation of many texts, they're also none of them, if that makes sense, because it's splitting the difference and it's playing all sorts of odds and there's a little bit of kind of randomization as well because it won't repeat. You can give it an identical prompt and it later and it won't produce exactly the same text. So what I'm saying is, you know, this fiction is original in the most narrow technical sense of that word. Now, now this sort of technology, once folks get a handle on phrasing prompts and refining those prompts and working out how to ask the AI for sort of specific things, and, and I'm fiddling with various parameters on the, on, the, on the back end as well, I think this kind of tech is going to allow the production of, of passable content at a terrifying speed. Fiction and poetry do not have the major problem of someone attempting to use this kind of tech to produce non-fiction, right? Uh, which in that case, if you're trying to get it to produce, say, an essay on a subject or anything that relies on facts, is that the bot, because it doesn't understand what it's saying, it may come out with stuff that is just factually nonsense because those kind of words do come together but uh, a lot of the time. But... It's not, one, there may be content on the internet that is wrong. There may be popular uh, misconceptions. And two, you only have to shift one word here or there to make something that was factually correct, factually incorrect or nonsense, right? It can come out with complete garbage from a truth point of view. Uh, that's not a problem in fiction or poetry. You know, there is no golem. There is no mage. They're just archetypes. Once a story has been blurted out in this super fast first draft format, right, then the human can step in and make adjustments, add little flourishes if they like, you know, add names, correct mistakes. Although you can add your own names, I just didn't bother doing that. Um, they can tweak continuity errors, although there were callbacks in that text. You know, there, were, there was a continuity of mind. Um, it did a remarkably good job of staying within the golem's point of view. There were no POV slips that I normally see when humans write this kind of thing. Um, there were... It, 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 it managed to very convincingly convey the idea of the Battle of Wills being manifested in physical forms and these kind of nimbuses of light rising up around the golem. It, like, that's something that I think a lot of human writers would struggle with, but it, it, it read enough to understand what I was asking for and implement that. That's pretty bananas, right? And and even if you needed, even when I'm talking about like a human, we're still talking as if there's like, oh, we can collaborate with bots. But even then, to be honest, you can do what I did, which is take t chunks of the text and just hand them back to the bot and say, and, and then just say, here is and describe what, what the bot's reading and say what you want altered or the direction you'd like things to proceed and then say, please continue, right? Like, you can you don't even have to make the changes. You can tell the bot to make the changes and it will. Um, or you can give it the beginning of something and then ask it to, based on what you've already written as a human, this is like, this is the bananas thing, right? You can write something as a human. You can start your story off and... And then you can cut and paste it into the text box. Say, 
here is the beginning of a novel and then quote it and then end it with please continue the story look i mean like check this shit out right here's a prompt i just gave the ai quote this is the beginning of a novel and then here's the actual within quote marks the beginning of the novel quote september the 12th 1935 the girl with the gun crouched waiting the dark shape hung over the belt of poplars, then banked, swooping out across the salt marsh. It was coming nearer. She braced a knee against the wet wall of the trench. The monster pumped its black wings. Ragged. Impossible. Curls of samphire crunched beneath her elbow as she brought the gun to her cheek. The wind lifted old book smells off the mudflats. Kidney-shaped pools shone copper and gold. End quote. Please continue the story. That's why I asked it. Here's what it wrote. The girl's heart raced in anticipation. She had heard about the creature for years, stories that her grandmother had told her when she was a little girl, but she had never dreamed of actually seeing it. The creature was close enough now that she could make out its features. Its fur was patchy in places, but it had a kind of stately beauty, like a lion or a tiger. Its wings beat slowly, almost languidly, as if it had all the time in the world. The girl felt a sudden urge to put down the gun and just watch the creature, to marvel at the miracle of its existence. But she knew what she had come here to do. She steadied her aim and fired. The creature thrashed and screeched, smoke rising from its wounds. Then, with a mighty effort, it rose into the air, flying higher and higher until it was lost from sight. The girl slumped back against the trench wall, exhausted. She had done it. She had faced the creature and lived to tell the tale. Now, in case you don't know, that opening that I quoted was from my novel, my first novel, my debut, The Honours. And what follows there, what the AI generated, is not what happens in the novel at all. There is no grandmother. The patchy fur is an invention. I mean, the tone of that line. Its fur was patchy in places, but it had a kind of stately beauty, like a lion or a tiger. What a contrast of this almost like mange on a flying monster. And then to say it has a stately beauty. I tried Googling that line, right? I was like, that, that must be lifted from something because it, it felt too good to be an accident. I can't find it or anything close anywhere on Google Books normally if you search for things like this you know you'll get you'll get something from uh, somewhere right i can find examples of the that of course the term stately beauty i can find mentions of lions and tigers but n none of that together and then that turn the i mean that it's freaking me out right the girl felt a sudden urge to put down the gun and just watch the creature to marvel at the miracle of its existence. But she knew what she had come here to do. There's a psychological tension and a sense of wonder. She feels like a convincing character. Like, what's going on? And now, yes, look, the ending is, is very pat. Although, note that the AI remembers she's in a trench. It's not mine. There's, there's, continuity throughout the day the girl slumped back against the trench wall exhausted she remembered that from the second paragraph and reincorporated it 
So there is a there is a simulated consistency of world here. This object permanence in the scene, at least over this short distance, right? We are in the realm of something deeply uncanny. Now, the bot never names the girl, never elaborates beyond the creature. But this is not, in my professional opinion, and I'm galled and sorry to report this, I don't think this output is obviously worse prose than what I, a thinking, feeling human being, produced over multiple rounds of edits. I can't fucking believe I'm saying this. I I'm not sure anyone reading that scene, without having been told in advance that most of it was written by AI, would notice anything untoward. And I'd suggest that many readers, even if you did tell them, would struggle to spot the join. If I hadn't included that prompt so you knew where my writing ended and the AI began... I'm not sure you would see the moment where Tim Clare, the meat author, turns into the resonant electric candy floss of algorithmically produced fiction. Unless you are a believer in creationism or intelligent design, you already accept that incredible, beautiful systems of immense complexity can arise without a consciousness sitting at the desk working the controls, right? That this, what we're talking about today, you know, Admittedly, it's more of a collaboration. My friend and frequent guest of the show, Ross Sutherland, produced an entire documentary and collection on the basis of his collaboration with machine translation software, where he would take poems and feed them back and forth through software that shifted lines and metaphors between languages. Then he'd edit and curate what was left into these new pieces that were, yes, in the direct sense, uh, empty of authorial content. The muse hadn't come down in the classical manner we normally associate with poetry and bid the poet write on this subject of powerful emotional importance. Um, but they were steered by authorial intent, right? Ross was there tweaking them for sense and, and and the whole process was his authorial intent right it was just more indirect he was kind of more akin to a a landscape gardener than a sculptor perhaps and, and they were of course steered by the tides and biases of the algorithms which after all isn't all art sub subject to you know the unexamined and invisible prejudices and cultural pressures of its time that give the work a kind of emergent will that maybe the author didn't intend i that's what i love and i've talked about it on before on the show i we, i like it when characters get away from us i like it when our stories themes get away from the author. I think a novel's truly alive when it embraces the dialectic of fiction and it says things. And when it briefs against its own author. That's a success artistically to me. When a novel contradicts itself, when you can't... It's not a failure of a piece of art, a piece of fiction... For it not to have one consistent moral that you can simply read off and say, well, it was it was telling us that we should do this. I don't think the only function or even the best function of art is moral 
instruction. Although, you know, art can do that. I'm not against it entirely, but I do, I'm just kind of flabbergasted, you know. Now, now I just, can you, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just, stunned you know and look to be clear i'm not a machine learning expert i don't know anything about coding i don't even have much expertise in the philosophy of mind though i do have some education in language acquisition and some of the mechanics of the english language so look i don't propose to dive into those topics or make any definitive predictions about where this technology might lead i, I i'm trying to stick to my wheelhouse, my area of expertise. I've been a... I, I wanted to be a writer since I was five. I've read heavily all my life. I've given my life to creating stories. I've taught at every age. I, I, I've i done so much of this, you know. So I hope you. the fact that I'm kind of flabbergasted um, I might be, I am a bit of a rube when it comes to technology. So I, I, I you know, I, I think outside of my areas of expertise, I'm happy to say I don't know. And then within my area of expertise, which is stories and language, I'm happy to be confident to the point of arrogance, hopefully just so it makes some of my takes more entertaining, but also so I'm not disguising what my conviction is on this, but I hope I hold it lightly enough that if someone comes along and says, actually, Tim, have you considered this? I don't defend it to defend my ego, but I, I accept that. And I'm just thinking, holy shit. Like, to me, my gut instinct is that this is big. And while it might take some folks a while to catch on, the impact on literature could be profound. Perhaps one reason a minority of people seem to get somewhat exercised with me when I talk about this is my reluctance to adopt a position of human exceptionalism when it comes to creative writing. I do not believe when it comes to many aspects of creative writing that humans are irreplaceable. And that makes some folks apoplectic really you know now to be clear the bots are created by humans so this is still humans making stories uh we didn't recover these algorithms from inside a glowing meteor this is a human tool an extension of ourselves our brains our way of understanding the world you know you don't look up the roof of the sistine chapel and go well that's bullshit because he used brushes instead of daubing it with his own fingers the history of art is in part a history of technology. But when we talk about poetry, when we talk about novels, there's this thing, there's uh, there's this, I think, unfounded belief that they can only arise from this conscious human spark, that they have to be generated from a place of authentic emotion and lived experience, that a book has a soul. And I say to you, if an author needs a soul... How do you explain the career of Geoffrey Archer? It is manifestly untrue that to connect with human beings, a novel needs to be original, lyrical, sensitive, plausible, that it needs convincing dialogue, that it needs 
sex scenes that in any way resemble human copulation, that it need describe women as people rather than grotesque Cronenbergian aggregations of plunging, bouncing breasts studded with hundreds of per nipples so they resemble a, a pimpled dog toy. I mean, come on. Many, many hugely popular books are written in a stilted, hackneyed style with plots to match. Now, now you can no true Scotsman those books out of what you consider to be literature, for sure. You can say, oh, I don't write for the masses. Fucking good for you. Well done. Well, I'm so pleased for you that, that you stalwart defender of the avant-garde, but some of us need to eat. I am not saying the robots are coming for your jobs. I am saying Jeff Bezos is coming for our jobs. Rupert Murdoch is coming for our jobs. If the billionaires who continue to work to reduce the choice for both consumers and producers in publishing can use this technology to mass produce extremely cheap fiction very quickly off the backs of appallingly paid remote workers, do you not think they will? This isn't a... This... This is really big. And if these bots can only reproduce shitty mass market prose, then apparently that's what I'm writing. Because I think in the example above, it makes it a, a pretty reasonable fist of, of writing like me. Writing as well as me, at least. And And this was the product of five minutes dicking around with the interface. I haven't been at it for days. These were literally... The first two or three interactions I've had with it at all, ever. I haven't gone to any effort to refine my prompts or I haven't read anything to learn how to improve results or tweaked how I phrase my request. This is just me titting about with it. First go. Now, the best scenario that I can imagine is that this stays free. It gets even better at granular interpretation of both style and content requests. And we, as writers... Uh, gain an immensely powerful tool to generate opening lines for scenes based on ideas we have to provide 10 relevant metaphors based around spaghetti and relationships to give us a sample of tone and voice which we can go on to write in. Maybe sometimes we get blocked and we ask the AI to write the next paragraph, then we play with the results. I don't know. The thing is, a bot isn't less creative because it doesn't have emotions. It's more creative. You might know that I have a bot on Twitter that generates imaginary students for an arcane academy. Uh, less sophisticated than this, obviously. I just put a bunch of words into its database and it grabs them at random and slams them together to invent a magician. And... It's happy to do that because it it'll slam stuff together and it'll make a bunch of meaningless ones and then occasionally make one that is far better than anything I could have come up with because it doesn't have any skin in the game. It doesn't need to protect its feelings. It's not embarrassed to make quote unquote mistakes. And as I've spoken about before, creativity to the, the to a certain extent is a, it, it is in essence making category errors, making mistakes. Originality is the bringing into being of something that didn't exist before. And if it didn't exist before, then to a certain extent, it appears in the world 
uncategorized and we may want to perform kind of uh, as Irving Goffman put it a symbolic recapture of it we go where does this fit what slot can I put this in how can I categorize this how can I capture this within my existing ways of looking at the world that's how we might feel about it and that's why it can be a threat and that's why we can receive something as an error and sometimes these experiments are just not good right they're just a bit shit like not everything novelty isn't the sine qua non of good writing i'd much rather read a thumping good read that sits within an existing paradigm than a bunch of randomly generated text which would meet the criteria for originality but wouldn't have any structure that would feel uh, engaging to me right now, I suspect the output from this particular bot will tend towards the more vanilla, the more mainstream, just because of the probabilistic predictive nature of what it's trying to do. It's going to have a bigger glut of texts that aggregate around that central median. We're going to get a lot of content that sits somewhere in the middle. And it'll only be by combining archetypes in new ways in terms of the prompts, like, I don't know, generating fake lifestyle articles on how to turn yourself into a zombie or something that will wring truly surprising stuff out of it. And sure, maybe some of my feelings around this as I relate it to you in the kind of white heat of having just done this are generated by sheer surprise. These text samples might not be perfect, but I think they are surprisingly good for a bot. They're certainly better than many human efforts. I think University departments are in for a nightmare when it comes to figuring out authorship of essays and creative writing assignments in the years to come. I think that's a terrifying prospect. But also, if you've listened to this podcast a lot, you'll know I I struggle with self-doubt, procrastination, perfectionism, and sometimes self-hatred. I flipping hate some of my attempts to be creative, to make good stories that people like you will read and love and and, that, and it's scary to me to encounter this entity that just doesn't feel that and just goes bang good enough give me another oh you got notes cool bang it makes the changes it's hard honestly because i've rarely felt like i deserve to be a writer i've rarely felt like i have much of an aptitude for it when i sit down at my desk and i'm not fishing for reassurance i you know i i don't want you to feel like this is a sort of disguised cry for you to say, Tim, you're doing all right. I mean, I appreciate that sentiment, if that's what you feel, but I don't, please don't see this as me tacitly reaching out for that. I'm I'm being honest about this, but I I think I'm probably probably when I'm being honest about this, I'm in a better place than when I'm trying to pick myself up, because to a certain extent, if you can say these things. Um, you create a degree of separation between you and the thing, right? Um, I, I find writing so hard a lot of the time. Not this, this business of me talking to you now, which sort of makes the whole self-doubt thing feel like a bit of an affectation, right? A bit of a put-on. This whole episode, uh, you know, has been easy for me to make, fun for me to write. And, and that's not some AI-generated line telling you that, by the way. It, it, this is me, the actual Tim Clare. There's no, there's not going to be a reveal where it turns out the whole script to today's episode was written by an AI, although I'm weirdly doubting myself slightly as I say that now. I guess everything I say ever again on this podcast is going to exist in this eerie liminal zone uh, of doubt between the human and the robot. You you can't, you know, the, the AI would 
say a lot of the stuff that I'm saying now, I guess. But it's possible, I guess, that what is happening with these new tools is that actually someone like me, someone who struggles with his writing, who gets anxious and low, this little hand-wrigging autistic man, it might finally provide me with a, a kind of accessibility tool, something that helps unstick my brain. There's an idea about autistic people that we're emotionless, cold, rational machines. But I envy the machine. I only wish I were when it comes to my writing because I'd be so much better at it. Actually, I am this writhing ball of angst and insecurity and I am desperate for encouragement and reassurance. And maybe if we're being hyper-optimistic about the future, something like this won't... Like, the danger is always that it is so good at producing text quickly that once someone works out how to give it prompts, they can produce books at speed. And if someone can produce books at speed, then the market gets flooded with that this is the problem with capitalism is then the market gets flooded with reasonable quality text uh in markets that want it where there's a bit of a demand where there's something of a where may, maybe there's a, a little bit of a structure so you can spell it out to the ai and that people can produce stuff very quickly and flood the market and that makes the value of the labor being produced is is necessarily reduced because there's uh, a bit you know the, the time that writers got paid the most was probably in the 1930s there was paper costs had come down we had the beginning of things like penguin paperbacks and we had a huge rise in just national literacy rates. Radio was becoming was was ubiquitous. Cinema was exploding. It's probably the biggest disparity in writers' favour in terms of supply and demand for creative writing. That's why the thirties are the time the golden age of creative writing handbooks, how to write books, the infamous said books that give you alternatives for said, like uttered, ejaculated, interjected, yelled, bellowed. They give you lists of how to describe the heroine's hair, right? That happened because people were being paid incredible amount. P.G. Woodhouse was coining it in Hollywood at the time just because there was such a demand for writing. There were the magazines, pulp magazines came out. You know, Batman in Detective, you know, Superman and Batman appear, right? Like this is this was an age and 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 and. and 
we are not in that place anymore. Far more people want to write. Far more people have access to writing. And I think that's a good thing, but it makes it really hard. And this could make it extremely quick to produce reasonable work. And writing conditions are not great for a lot of writers already. Right? We we, we already have a we already there's been a big antitrust case in the anti-monopoly case in the US with mer- mergers between two of the big five publishers uh that fortunately the courts found against well just nonsense was said in court stuff that anyone who works in publishing knew was flagrantly false um to try and get this merger to go through uh amazon is not the friend of of authors in terms of ebook publishing although i do think the ease of people publishing ebooks and the revolution in people being able to be indie publishers and, and, and just market their books direct to readers overall has been a good thing i think it's let a lot of people be published who wouldn't have otherwise be published and reach readers who wanted to read what they were doing and actually in those cases often the publishing machine and an edit and a you know a editor was not a necessary part of that chain and i think that's i think that's good i just wish it wasn't all being filtered through a corporation that makes its employees pee in bottles and busts unions and doesn't pay its taxes that really sucks <laughs> you know i don't think i'm being hugely controversial by saying that i don't know we might be staring into the widening vortex of the oncoming story apocalypse you know this might be for novels what wikipedia was to the encyclopedia industry remember microsoft in carter what if we just replaced it with unpaid volunteers and mostly just trusted them to self-regulate you know i'm not saying the death of Encarta was the end of the world but you know flip this could be rough and 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 people who go well i don't care unless you're writing shit this isn't going to be a problem for you well no actually if you write in a genre where you're writing something fairly mainstream you know might be writing thrillers or romance i'm not saying those are those are are, are trash genres at all but if you're expected to produce fairly quickly and you're expected to and your kind of writing is you produce stuff fairly quickly and you're not too you're not as fussed with producing deathless prose you just want to produce something for your readers that's fun and engaging and you know that there's a certain pressure for you to they read a lot so there's a certain pressure for you to continue producing if you want to maintain your spot and keep your reader base or they might just jump onto somebody else um i think this could be scary you know where an ai can just undercut your what you do what you offer produce stuff much more cheaply and much quicker I think that could be scary. And the idea that we just go, well, fuck those people. You should be producing 
avant-garde seven-dimensional psychedelic poetry which I I'm not against I'm just saying I think also I think yeah I could probably do that as well uh, is horrible I, I want everyone to be able to write and I'm I'm to be clear I'm not saying here's the lesser genres that it could do and here's the greater genres which it could do more I think it could do all of them I am in that pulp market essentially because it can it can ape me fine it can do what I do so now I'm just here with with my winky in hand as a one might put it if one was trying to be particularly colourful. Look, change can be good. I'm not some hidebound, pearl-clutching Luddite, um, but change rarely gives with both hands. The, the benefits of modern civilization are decidedly a double-edged sword, right? And, and paid-up imbibers of the AI flavour aid will doubtless accuse me of fussing over nothing well well fucking good for you I, I think you're probably not going to be on the receiving end of this and i think to a certain extent you might have your head in the sand or maybe up your own bottom look but this is a, look I, I and we can't put the can of worms back in the can by the way we can't undo this or say we should ban it or something and i i wouldn't advocate for that i'm just saying look this is the biggest development in literature in my lifetime Yes, UK publishing stalwarts bigger than the collapse of the netbook agreement in the early 90s. Let it go. We are entering a zone of great cultural volatility, possibly just in time for the end of the world. Who knows? I hope, sincerely hope, we can work together to build a better system for everyone involved, not just a handful of avaricious ding-dongs at the top of the pile. Speaking of which, if you love the show and you want to help me out, please drop me a few beans at my coffee page. The show survives on the basis of listener donations. Uh, and at the time of recording, we're coming to the end of the year. I've produced on and off. 2022 has been an odd year for me and I haven't produced as much as I wanted to. Uh, but hopefully next year we'll get a bit more back on track. Um, I don't encourage you to donate a lot. In fact, I advocate the opposite. If you've liked what I've put out this year... If you'd like to support me, just drop me a couple of quid. Uh, if a bunch of people do that, I'm sorted for all next year. Um, but, you know, other people doing it is not your responsibility. Your bit is just drop me a, a quid, two quid, three quid. If you like what I do, if you like what I've done this year, you've listened to it and you, you fancy and you fancy chucking me something in the hat, that would make a huge difference to me and my ability to do things like pay my hosting costs and pay my website costs and, and keep doing this and thank you for listening this year because i really appreciate it and i love making this podcast it's very important to me thanks very much um, of course i have a selection of entirely human generated books you can check out my novels the honors which you heard a little beginning of and the ice house which are books one and two in a little series and my new one coward why we get anxious and what we can do about it which is all about the adventures i went on to try to deal with my anxiety and panic attacks links for all of those books in the show notes of today's episode or you can just google them finally uh we have a death of a thousand cuts discord community come join us uh, talk about books offer feedback on each other's work find somebody to swap your manuscript with so you can get a longer critique or just 
discuss the latest episode or ask people about recommendations for previous episodes. It's pretty chill there. Link in the show notes. That's the description under the show. Or just Google it. Just Death of a Thousand Cuts Discord. You can always lurk if you feel shy. Um, It'd be lovely to have you. Right, that's it. I enjoyed this one. It wasn't the episode I've been planning to put out, but I felt moved to create it. If I've made you cross or you disagree fervently or you think I've got something completely wrong, just to say you may very well be right and I support your right to disagree with me and even to criticise me, just please re- remember that I'm a person and uh, try to balance your fervent and sincerely held disagreement with a recognition of our mutual humanity. Um but otherwise, please go to town. And, and until we speak again, take care. And I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.